Hit well into center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here. Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout. The pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. Happy spring training. Yeah, I'm Trent. Glad you found us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. Man, what a great show we got again. I know I say this every week, but I'm telling you, it's week after week. They have been awesome. We got two interviews, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here at the top uh, setting these up because there's a lot to get to. We're going to hear from Cody Allen, new Angels closer that the Angels signed a couple of weeks ago on a one-year deal. Um, Cody Allen is a kind of pitcher that I think they can really anchor this bullpen and whether it be as the closer, whether it be as the high leverage situation guy, whatever it is, he is a veteran presence that can help this bullpen. He knows how to close games. Um, at the time of the signing, Angels' healthy relief pitchers had combined for 26 career saves. Cody Allen had 27 last year alone and 30-plus the three years prior to that. He is somebody that I, I think is only going to help a bullpen that I think is pretty underrated and a bullpen that I consider to be in the top third of base. Baseball. I, I see the Angels as having, you know, maybe the 9, 10, 11. I think that they're in that range of bullpen rank. I mean, the fact that their bullpen ERA uh, had them at 13th in all of baseball last year, despite all of the injuries, I think they're only going to be better than that this time around. And uh, they were better when Ty Buttry became part of the picture. And Williams Jerez and Hansel Robles uh, got in there. And he, all these names started popping up that they didn't have when the season began, but the Angels got better as the year got on, and this group that was so young and inexperienced a year ago, well, now has a season under their belts, and they're coming into new roles, and I think that's going to be great uh, for this Angels pen. And I think that the Angels bullpen is not only the most underrated facet of this team, but I think around baseball, uh, the Angels pen is very, very underrated. I mean, considering everything last year, they still finished 13th last season. And I know that's not great. The expectations got to be higher than that. Uh, But I do think that this year they're going to be better. And Cody Allen is a big reason why. After Cody Allen, we get a chance to hear from Angels TV voice Victor Rojas. He's got a new apparel line coming out. He gives us some great backstory behind that. Tells us about how he likes to call a game. And I think it's, I know we spent a lot of time here on the radio talking about the radio side of it. And uh, we're uh, hopefully uh, we're going to have the same kind of interview at some point throughout the season with Terry Smith because uh, I have so much respect for that guy. And re- I mean, really, when you think about the Angels broadcast team and what Victor and Gooby bring you on TV and what Terry and Mark bring you on the radio, I mean, it's outstanding um, the kind of coverage that we get here uh, with Angels baseball. But uh, we'll hear from Victor Rojas coming up on the second part of this podcast. But first, here's our chat with new Angels closer, Cody Allen. Joined now by the new Angels closer. How about this? Cody Allen on the phone with us. What's going on, Cody? How are you today? 
I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. I know you're getting ready for uh, spring training. By the time this airs, you will have already reported to spring training and pitchers and catchers uh, report coming up uh, this coming week. Hey, I got to know for you, what is an offseason like? I know you signed a couple of weeks ago, but when you're in that time waiting to sign with the club, what is that time like uh, kind of in limbo trying to figure out what, what the next year is going to be? Yeah, so, I mean, this offseason was obviously a little bit different than most just because I, I didn't know where I was going to be and live in a situation with a family and everything. Uh, you're trying to get those things ironed out. But, uh, honestly, man, it's just it's, it's almost the same as the season where you have your daily routine of things you want to get done, but also just trying to enjoy time with the family and, and not get wrapped up too much in, in the hoopla of free agency. Uh, you let you let the people who take care of you take care of you and, and just, you know, just keep keep at it. Yeah, I would imagine that. I mean, it just it's not like this is the first year it's been like this. It's been like a couple of years now where you're just seeing it get later and later and later, and here we are as of when we're taping this. Uh, Harper and Machado still haven't signed, and you know we're still kind of waiting to see how those dominoes are going to fall. So I would guess uh, that might be kind of tough when, when you're just sitting there waiting and trying to figure that out. Uh, but then you get a phone call, and next thing you know, you're with the Angels. So how exciting were you to find out that this was going to be the team and agree to come uh, join the Angels this year? Uh, it was very exciting. You know, it happened really quick. Uh, we started getting phone calls from uh, from a few different clubs, and our conversations with Billy uh, just really gained some traction. Uh, there was there's a lot of interest there from both sides, and it happened pretty quick. And we were extremely excited. My, my wife and I are very excited to. To, uh, to head to Southern California and sit down in an Angels uniform. I mean, I can just tell you that the Angels have been waiting for a closer for a long time, and it's it's exciting that you're coming here. Uh, but I, I am curious, from your perspective, like what about this Angels team maybe stood above some others and you want to make sure you came here? The, the new staff, I've had some great conversations with Doug White. I've heard some unbelievable things about Andrew Bailey, who's stepping in as a bullpen coach. And then there, there's a lot of promise there. I think everybody that's come to uh, play against Anaheim for the last few years knows that, um, you know, you're going to have to score runs to beat him because this, this offense is really, really good. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, with a couple of the best players in baseball and Mike Trout and guys like Angelton Simmons and, and Otani and Albert, uh, you know, and Justin, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. But uh, there's a lot of promise there with the pitching staff. And, and obviously a guy like Doug White, I think, can do wonders for for a young pitching staff, for a young bullpen. There's some really, really good young arms in that bullpen that there's a lot of promise down there. And so I'm just I'm excited just to supplement what's already there and just become part of a winning franchise. Hey, man, I hung out with Andrew Bailey at the winter meetings in Vegas, and he is great. I mean, you guys, you're going to love him. By the way, I think I'm the only person that Doug White is not talking to because every pitcher I hear from says they're hearing from Doug White basically every day. Have you ever had a coach like that that's got this much communication before you even start the job? Uh, I've had I've had some very good uh, some very good pitching coaches in the past that I've I've communicated extremely well with, but uh, but I, I am very excited uh, to work with Doug. He's uh, you know he seems like he, he's able to get on everybody's level, which is very important, um, and it's a special talent that he has. But just the ability to to get guys fired up and get ready to go to work. 
I know that after so much time in Cleveland, it's probably hard to think about like what spring training is going to be like with a new organization. What are you hoping to get out of this spring uh, being here with this club? I'm just looking to get there and be a part of a team. Uh, I don't want uh, you know my routine, uh, you know, to, or having having something adapt to my routine. I, I just want to fit into a ball club that's already there, that's used to winning games, and, and just supplement an already good team. So I, I just I just want to get there, get with the guys, um, you know, get with the catchers, uh, and just get to work and and start this journey of. Uh, of a grind of a season, but uh, ultimately like trying to punch our ticket into October. Obviously, when the Angels go out and they sign a guy like you, like Cody Allen, to help be uh, the closer for this organization, that's clearly something that the Angels have been lacking and something that the Angels are wanting to improve upon despite a lot of really good young pitchers in this group. I would like to know, though, and I've heard people talk about this, but I don't know that, I mean, maybe unless you don't experience it, you can't ever truly understand it. But I've always wanted to know from like your perspective, what's the difference of when you go out for the ninth inning to try to get a save as opposed to maybe coming in in a high-leverage situation in the in the seventh or eighth innings? Like, what is different about the ninth inning? I'd say the only difference there is just that there's nobody else coming in behind you. But, I mean, other than that, that obviously shouldn't be a focus when you're in the game. Other than that, man, you're, you're asked to get as many outs as you can get when you're asked to get them. And so it's not up to me to – to determine, uh, you know, what outs are more important or what outs are harder. I, I'm just, you know, Brad's going to ask me to get however many outs he needs me to get a night in certain spots, and I'm going to go out there and, and try and execute as many pitches as I can and get as many outs until either the game's over or he comes and gets me. Do you feel like there's a level of comfortability, though, like kind of knowing, okay, the ninth inning is my inning, I'm going in there? Does it make it harder the way the game is played now when so many managers, I mean, this is, across, this is widespread across baseball, are kind of using that high-leverage situation uh, idea more? Does that change anything for you? Um, knowing that you're pitching in certain spots, uh, you know, every night, it, it does help uh, having that routine and that benefit. But, I mean, there are certain guys who do extremely well kind of in that, you know, fireman, swingman role. Uh, but that takes a special player, man. And I've, I, I was very fortunate to to play with a couple of them, uh, you know, one in particular, Andrew Miller, and just being able to watch him uh, do that was, was impressive. But it, it, it takes a special guy to be able to do that. Uh, pitch in different spots, pitch, you know, different lengths of time, um, you know, every single night. You know, that's uh, that, that's a tough task. Cody, obviously you've been a part of some great teams and uh, been to the World Series and have gotten uh, to that highest level. Now you're coming to an organization with a lot of great players, a lot of great promise, and a lot of guys that are working to get uh, to that level, but a team that I think believes they can get there. What does it take um, on a championship team that you have seen? What, what what is required from a unit to be able to get to the World Series and play on that kind of a stage? I would say that you know, and there's a lot of guys in this organization that know exactly what it takes to win. Uh, but and you know, they they probably would say something different. But the one thing that I've experienced uh, with the teams that that I was a part of that. Uh, that were special, you know, there's good teams and there's special teams, but the special teams did a really, really good job of just focusing on today and just locking in and buying into a certain process uh, and not having, 
um, you know, anything about the previous day or the previous week or the previous five days have any bearing on the outcome of today. So uh, we were very fortunate to have an incredible pitching staff in Cleveland. Uh, and so being able to show up and knowing that you're running a horse out there on the mound uh, that either can continue good fortune or change bad fortune, uh, it, it, you know, it gets guys fired up. And, and I, I, you know, I feel like this team in Anaheim has a, shot, has a chance to do the same thing. Cody, as I'm prepping for this interview and trying to find out a little bit more about you, I see some photos from 2013 with you and Rich Hill messing uh-huh. around in, in the uh, during uh-huh. batting practice, hanging out with a chicken. And then I see on Players Weekend, you go by the name Pollo. Uh, we have a Pollo, by the way, here on Angels Radio. He's our engineer uh, for the Angels Radio broadcast, so I don't know who's going to get Pollo rights. Uh, but I am curious uh-huh. where the uh, nickname came from and uh, what, what that's all about. It, it's a it's a really long story, but it really stems from nothing. Uh, it was more so from uh, it was more so from boredom in the minor leagues. But but uh, I will give credit to a former teammate of mine of uh, by the name of Frank Herman, who uh, who who really made that name stick. And and I wasn't shaking that. Especially once once Tito found out that that was my nickname, uh, there was no there was no denying that name. It was going to chase me for the rest of my career. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna hammer that home. But there's a lot of Arizona people that work in this organization too, like Artie Moreno, uh, the Angels owner, Arizona guy, John Carpino, Dennis Cool, uh, all Arizona guys. So uh, yeah, spending time with Tito must have been pretty fun. Some of the you know those Wildcats are relentless though. That must have been pretty cool getting a chance to play for uh, Terry Francona though. He was awesome. You know he uh, he was there. He really helped me. Uh, you know, just kind of become a big leaguer and, and really cut my teeth in the big leagues. And he was a manager that really believed in me and pushed me. And he asked a lot of me, but at the same time, he was one of those guys that you knew cared. Uh, and, and I would say that was an important uh, thing for a young guy is knowing that your manager really cares about you. And he cares about not only not only your production for the team, but he cares about your individual career. So. Uh, you know, he was, he was definitely an easy guy to play for, and it was a privilege playing, you know, the last seven years in Cleveland for him. Cody, as somebody that has been a part of great bullpens before and being around uh, a lot of really great pitchers and, and, and some veterans and some young guys, I know you kind of come to this Angels staff now uh, as a veteran in this group. And the fact that, you know, aside from Keenan Middleton, who if you exclude him, he's saved nine games in his career. The rest of the Angels relievers currently on the 40-man have a combined 26 saves in your in their careers, and you had 27 saves last season. When you come onto this bullpen now and in this staff as a veteran and kind of as a leader in this group, what are some things that you hope to teach some of the young pitchers in this bullpen trying to learn how to become uh, Major League ready and Major League ready closers down the road? I don't think it's so much as what I can teach them, uh, or you know, I mean, there's some really good arms down there, and guys that are pitching big spots. You know, Hansel Robles is pitching the World Series, and you know, you got some guys like Ty Buttrey and Justin Anderson with great arms, and uh, you know, a guy like Cam Bedrosian who's been around for a while and experienced it. So, I mean, it's just it's all you're just trying to feed off of each other. It all happens organically through conversation and and just. Having the confidence to go out there on a daily basis and just go compete, and you know, the, just focus on the things that you can compete. Uh, you know, you, you play a 160 game season, you're going to get beat every now and then, and just being able to show up the next day and kind of refresh and and go give your give your team the, the best chance to win. 
Man, I've spent enough time around baseball now, and it didn't take me long, but I, I know this much. Sometimes you relievers are a bunch of knuckleheads, and it's kind of fun yeah. and, see, and see that kind of stuff. How important is that kind of chemistry to have on a team? It's a long season. Uh, you know, you spend a lot of time with uh, with all of your teammates, but, you know, as a bullpen, you spend a lot of time with that group down there. And, and so in order to to kind of – to get through some of the dog days of the season, you know, you, you want to have some fun. You want to keep it loose. And, and, you know, this game is already hard. It's already uh, a pressure-packed game, especially the bullpen coming in late in tight spots. So if you the, the looser you can keep it, uh, but also at the same time with, like, a workman-like attitude, uh, you know, you're, you're going to enjoy the season. And I feel like when you're enjoying yourself, you're going to perform a little bit better. So are you a prankster? I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a prankster, but I'm a not opposed to a good prank. Well, because there's a lot of them on this team. Like I, I know they like, okay. like, like Trout is like the king prankster. So if you're going to get involved in that, I'm just giving you a little warning now. You got to rise the occasion because you know he is he is really tough to beat. And if you if you try anything there, he will respond to you. So I I selfishly am kind of hoping that there could be some good stuff. Like he pulled like an epic one on Garrett Richards a couple of years ago. So I'm looking forward to uh you know may, maybe maybe you can bring some of that to the table, Cody. Yeah, well I mean we'll see. I, I'm normally on the receiving end of a lot of pranks, but uh, <laughs> but we'll see. I, I might get my hands dirty a little bit. Hey, Cody, I appreciate you taking some time out to talk with us today. I can't wait to hang out with you in spring training. I think this will be lots of fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing you out there, man. Thank you so much. Look, here's the thing about spring training. It can be a grind, too. I know it's like all excitement and fun right now. In three, four weeks from now, it's going to feel like a grind. That's just the reality of it, especially for pitchers and catchers that have to get there so early. So the fact that uh, Cody Allen's one of those guys that's going to keep it light, keep it fun, I uh, can't thank Cody enough for uh, coming on our podcast. But uh, I'm excited for what he's going to bring to this uh, bullpen. That Again, good young arms that are getting better and better, and I think having a guy like Cody Allen is only going to improve this bullpen and it could have just in what he brings you as a player I think is going to help the bullpen significantly I think who he is as a person is going to help this bullpen even more than that that's what gets me pretty excited I was going to get to this before the break I think the Angels have two of the best broadcast teams uh, that you're going to find whether it be Terry Smith and Mark Langston on the radio or on television Victor Rojas with Mark Gubiza I think both those teams are really fun listens and I enjoy uh, the conversation and I enjoy our coverage that we get here with Angels baseball I think Angels fans are really lucky and I think a lot of fans probably don't realize how lucky they are uh, to have great broadcasters like that. So let's not waste any more time. Now our chat with Angels TV voice, Victor Rojas. Hanging out now with Victor Rojas, joining us on the phone here, getting set for the start of the season, the Angels play-by-play voice. Victor, what are we coming up on, like 10 years now for you as the play-by-play announcer on the Angels on TV? That's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy that uh, as January 1st came around, we celebrated the 10th anniversary of MLB Network launching, and that was, uh, that was exciting to be a part of that. And then looking forward to the season that, uh, you know, not soon thereafter, I, I joined the Angels organization. Now I've booked nine seasons, and this will be uh, the 10th uh, in Southern California. So time has just absolutely flown by. Yeah, that's crazy. I have a lot of broadcasting questions uh, I want to get to uh, in a second. But I think, Victor, your baseball journey is really interesting, um, let alone the fact you're the son of Cookie Rojas. But on top of the fact that you played baseball, you were a general manager at one point, 
and now as the TV voice for the Angels, how would you how would you describe what the journey has been like for you, and what made you want to get to this point? Huh. Uh, I think ridiculously stupid kind of comes to mind. Uh, you know, to, to, to kind of just sum up how this is all played out for, uh, for, for me and my family, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, uh, you know, this will be the uh, 10th with the angels, 17th overall in major league baseball plus two, uh, at independent ball. So to, to think that at 31 years of age, I, uh, on a whim decided to tell my then bride, uh, at the time that I was going to try this broadcasting thing with zero experience and no college education behind it and see if I can uh, somehow, uh, you know, make a, make a run at it. Here I am uh, almost 20 years later having picked up as much experience as I have. So it's, it's just been a, it's been a whirlwind. It's certainly not textbook. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I kind of constantly tell broadcasters, especially students that are still going to school and, and looking to kind of get in this field, uh, I tell them all the time that it, it's a grind. Um, that I'm not the the uh, the prototypical story and or the path uh, to get to to where I am, but uh, I, I think if you commit to something and put your mind towards it and, and really kind of drive the uh, the inner drive as much as possible to get to that ultimate goal, whether it's in broadcasting or any walk of life, I think you can uh, eventually uh, to kind of see those things come to fruition and. Uh, I, I, I kid you not, I, I was working at the time, prior to getting my first uh, major league job with the Diamondbacks, I was I had already been working with MLB.com for, for a couple of seasons, and I was wrapping up my second season of, uh, of doing Arizona Fall League games and doing the championship game, which at that time was being held at Maryville, which is the uh, spring training home of the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, I remember walking up to the broadcast booth for the championship game and just kind of standing there on the concourse, it's, you know, outdoor stadium and stuff like that, and sitting there going, man, this would be really cool if I had a chance to come here and call a major league game uh, as a big league broadcaster. Not thinking anything other than, you know, it'd be just kind of a cool moment, you know. Yeah. And uh, that would have been in November of uh, 2002, and in April of, or pardon me, of uh, uh, January of 2003, I'm interviewing with the Arizona Diamond Jetbacks with their, uh, for their second radio spot so uh you just never know but i think if you just put forth the effort and the commitment to it i think uh, good things can happen that's awesome you talk about journey i don't know that there is a right path to take and i as somebody that's still trying to find it i think i don't i don't think that there is a path one can take to get there but yours comes from there's no one way of doing it though. yeah that's, the, that's what i that's what i tell everybody I, I don't care what you learn in school i don't care what your professors tell you there there is absolutely no one way of uh of really ascending to a major league job let alone a minor league job and i think with that comes the fact that you have to kind of be yourself uh don't try to be anybody else find your niche stick with it and, uh, and and really hone it in and make sure that you get really good as as uh, whether it's a broadcaster or otherwise at what you do and and the way you do it. And I think if you're able to do that and somehow stand out, I think you'll catch someone's eye or catch someone's ear, and um, you'll be given the opportunity to uh, 
to at least uh, kind of pursue those dreams. But like keeping score uh, in a scorebook, there's no one way of doing it. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care what any critic says. There's absolutely no one way to broadcast a baseball game, and I think uh, I think that's the uniqueness of it. For sure. Well, that I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm smiling here because one of the things that I love about your call in particular is it is very obvious how well you understand this game. I'm not saying not saying that all broadcasters don't know baseball, but there are some know the game better than others. Obviously. Uh, growing up, I would imagine being around a major league clubhouse basically your whole life, I feel like probably plays a pretty big role into that. How important do you feel like your knowledge of the game is when you're calling uh, a big league baseball game? Well, I appreciate the uh, the compliment, Trent, and I think, uh, and, and that's what I try to tell a lot of folks that not only is is my path unique, um, the way I, I kind of went about it. Um, but I also am also understanding of my, my upbringing, you know, I, I haven't grown up in a clubhouse and haven't played the game and, you know, three brothers at the, uh, along with my dad, um, really just talking baseball all the time and, and watching as much baseball as I did growing up. Um, I guess I, 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 I don't know how to explain it, but I guess I see the game a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not the, the prototypical guy where I you know, from a broadcast perspective, I call a game off of a monitor. No, I actually watch the field, and I use the monitors to really just kind of, as analytics, really, to, to kind of make sure that I'm, I'm doing something right and, or watching a replay and, and kind of adding to the broadcast. But I think I think too often, um, and, and one thing I learned early on, too, is that I, don't, I don't bog myself down with too many things or talking points or nuggets of information um, and I let the game come to me. And I, I think too often, and you can hear whether it's a radio broadcast or a television broadcast too often where someone's trying to get certain information in and, and you kind of lose track of the game and mm-hmm. because they're not paying attention to the game or it's kind of uh, on, a, on a three or four second delay, you're getting the description, especially on radio, because you're trying to get certain information into or wedge certain information into a broadcast. And I think... I think you're doing the, the listener or the viewer a disservice. Radio and television are two different animals. Uh, on, tele- on television, the pictures really tell you what's happening. You're just kind of supplementing that information, you and really the analyst. To me, television, it's the analyst, it's the analyst gig, right? Because yeah. they're the ones that have to break everything down. As a play-by-play guy, you're just a bus driver. You know, you just kind of stop and go here or there. You interject, you, you read the billboards, so on and so forth. And you, you kind of you can control the flow of the game, the flow of information, but for the most part, really the spotlight shines on the analyst. On radio, it's the opposite. To me, radio, you almost don't even need an analyst because if you're doing true play-by-play on radio, it's about being as descriptive as possible as an individual while still getting your nuggets of information in. And it's easier to do that on radio as a single entity because – you have the flow of the game, right? You're watching the play-by-play. You're watching the foul ball and where it lands. Insert your little nugget here as the pitcher walks around the mound, so on and so forth, so that the person who is listening to your broadcast kind of can paint the picture in their mind's eye. And so it's two different animals. And so I I think for me it's just I've kind of evolved. I was, you know, I still don't think 
I've even close to scratching the surface of what I can actually be as a broadcaster because you're constantly evolving and trying new things. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, having grown up in a baseball family, it gives me the opportunity to, to really pose questions to Gooby or to whomever else that's in the broadcast booth um, based on experience. So something I see, whether it's a swing, a, an arm angle, a throw, whatever the case may be, that maybe not your prototypical play-by-play guy would see, uh, I, I kind of see those things. And so it opens up a different avenue for us as far as discussions. I was just going to ask you about that with Gooby because I feel like a great play-by-play, a great, great play-by-play announcer has the ability to tee up their analyst in that sense and not interject too much opinion on your own. However, I feel like that's got to be really tough when you, you know the game like you do and you see something. So how do you balance that and not stepping on your analyst? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's not easy to be perfectly honest with you. And I'll, you know, I love Gooby to death. He's he's like my uh, my fourth brother, and that's, uh, <laughs> I felt that way about him uh, prior to getting the job. And uh, you know, the nine plus years that we've spent together, we spend it all the time together. I mean, we we drive together to the ballpark when we're on the road. Uh, we do the game. We drive back. We go out and have a couple of pops uh, afterwards and, and dissect the game and just talk about stuff. So we're constantly together. And the one thing that I say about Gooby is he's a, an unbelievable analyst and he is an incredible personality. And I love the fact, and I, I like to screw around, trust me. I mean, you know me, I, <laughs> I like to have fun and screw around. But I, w- I would rather the spotlight be on somebody else than on me. That's just not my thing. I'd rather, I'd rather hide. Uh, truth be told, deep down, I love radio because you can kind of do that. It's just your, it's just you and the microphone. You don't have to worry about anything else. But from a TV perspective, uh, I like the fact that he, the kind of spotlight goes towards him, and uh, and he runs away with it. He's great at it. The one thing that I think I bring to the table uh, in that little dynamic that we have is that I'm not afraid to to kind of point out something if i'm trying to make a point and gooby is really good at, at breaking things down but keeping things um as kosher as possible as, as, as and not to ruffle feathers and i get it and he knows when i've got something to say and so it becomes a conversation of what did you think about this he'll give me his opinion and then i can play that devil's advocate and still give the viewer at home uh not necessarily the truth you know, what, what I'm actually seeing, uh, and, 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 and if I step on someone's toes or if I upset someone, then so be it. Look, in today's game, in what we do, you absolutely cannot fool the viewer sitting at home or the listener listening in their car. Uh, there's just way too much information out there. All the information that players and coaches and GMs are getting, we can get it on our smartphones now. So fans are a lot smarter today than they were 10 or 15 years ago where you can dance around a subject. Fans want to be told the truth. And sometimes the truth, uh, it sucks. You don't want to hear it. But it needs to be said. Because I think you do yourself and your analysts and your broadcast a disservice if you dance around certain issues or you kind of you know, pad something so that you don't make anybody look bad. This and that. I don't mean crushing anybody. But if someone needs to be called out, if someone's not hustling down a line and it costs you an out, which costs you a run, 
I'm going to let you know about it. And uh, I, I think that's something that, uh, you know, if, if things ended tomorrow, as far as my tenure, whether it's with the Angels or in baseball and doing this, at least I know that for the most part, fans will say, you know what, he never sugarcoated anything. He told us exactly what he was thinking. And that's, I can live with that. And so as far as Team Gooby up, I think it becomes easy. Look, I know every story, right? We spend so much time together. I know every story Gooby has told. And I know it. <laughs> so, but we kind of have to regurgitate these things on a yearly basis because not only do you have new viewers coming in, certain circumstances come in that, that brings back a certain story. So there's, there aren't too many questions whether it's from a, from a baseball breakdown standpoint or from a Gooby playing standpoint or something that happened to him standpoint that I don't already know the answer to. So for me, the, the more difficult part becomes how do I formulate or phrase a certain question so that it doesn't sound like here's script A and he's reading line 36, here we go again, yeah. you the same same thing. Line drive by Paul Molitor that broke Gooby's shin. You know, at the Metrodome. So it's all the. You know what I mean? It's just. I think that's the hardest part for me is kind of doing it over and over again, but doing it in a fresh type of manner. If that makes sense. Totally, and that would I would assume presents an even greater challenge when you're trying to do this. You know, whether it be 155 to 160 times a year, whatever the schedule ends up being, you guys working together on a nightly basis. Victor, I want to know more about when you were a kid, though, and growing up in this game and falling in love with baseball and being around it. What was it like being Cookie Rojas's son? Uh, I mean, it was it was cool. I, I was young when my dad retired in '77. I was in fifth grade at the time, so I, uh, I, I, you know, I knew what my dad did because I, I spent many a summer night, and as, as did my brothers, at the at the ballpark and going to the clubhouse and shagging BP and all that stuff. Uh, but you know, I never, you know, we lived in a little bubble. You know, it was it was, it was the '70s and no internet and you know no real. Uh, you know, it's not like the, the Royals were on television 150 times a year. You listen to the radio. So you never really understood um, the magnitude of, oh, hey, by the way, your dad's a, a professional baseball player. And I tell this story because, like I said, 77, uh, we knew that it was going to be his last year. Um, I think there was a trade in the works with the Seattle Mariners, and my dad had 10-5 rights and uh, nixed that deal and decided that he was going to retire instead. But I remember being in class, and uh, my all-time favorite teacher, Mrs. Sheets, uh, God rest her soul, uh, was at the front of the class reading a book, and it was called Unsung Heroes. And, uh, and it's a legit book. You can still find it today. And she's reading this chapter uh, about my dad in this book. And that's the first time it really dawned on me that, my God, my dad's you know, my dad's a famous dude. I mean, he's in a book. That, that, that was just <laughs> mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Um, while other people knew that, oh, my God, your dad's a royal. He plays for the royals, this and that. It's like it wasn't that big a deal to me until Mrs. Sheets read that chapter uh, out of that book. And so, you know, it gave me a little different perspective and a little bit different understanding of what my dad did. And then the following year, he became a coach with the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, as you get older and older, you become a little bit wiser and you start to learn and absorb certain things. And um, he joined the Angels organization in 82 and uh, spent the better part of 10 seasons uh, with the Angels from 82 through 92 before going off to the Marlins. And 
in that stretch. You know, I went through high school. Uh, you know, 1982, obviously, uh, I was in Milwaukee. The Angels won the first two games against the Brewers in the playoffs. And then I went to Milwaukee and I watched the Brewers uh, take three in a row from the Angels. So uh cried my eyes out. Tim Mead was there and um, on the bus with the family and going back to the, uh, the hotel in Milwaukee was just awful. And then, of course, 86, um, having uh, tickets to go to New York to hopefully uh, watch the Angels play the Mets in the World Series. And yeah. we all know how that played out with the, uh, the Boston Red Sox. And then in 1988, uh, getting a call – uh, from a friend of mine said, hey, did you know, obviously because uh, I wasn't on nearby a TV, did you know that your dad's been named the manager of the Angels? And it was like a week, less than a week, I think, to go in spring training wow. uh, in 1988 when Gene Mock steps aside. So um, it was a lot of fun. I, fortunately for me, I got a chance to spend the summer with him in 1988 while he was managing. And, uh, you know, I, a lot of things went on in that clubhouse that summer and i know it for a fact because i was there and i heard a lot of things um and i won't i won't get into it maybe someday when i write a book i will but i I think i think fans should ultimately know that um you know it was my dad's long life dream after he stopped playing to become a major league manager and while the circumstances were not ideal in how things played out when gene steps aside uh late in spring my dad uh, absolutely loved every moment of wearing an Angels uniform and being a manager. I mean, he absolutely loved his job, and he understood what he needed to do and how important it was and how successful he really wanted not only the team to be, but you know, to bring a championship to, for Gene Autry uh, to Southern California. And he thought um, and was told was, was going to have the opportunity to do that beyond 1988, and then Unfortunately, things, uh, you know, played out differently, and some people lied, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. But uh, he absolutely loved it, and I think that, to me, was the biggest um, and best moment uh, of spending time with my dad with 88, because I was in college at the time, so I was a little bit older. I understood everything and the dynamics of everything that was going on, so I was able to kind of appreciate that more so than, you know, being a fifth grader as, on the tail end of my, of my dad's career. Sure. What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I I never really I I always thought that I wanted to be a, a baseball player. Uh, you know, obviously just walking my dad's footsteps. Um, I also yeah I liked the idea of being a, a lawyer. Um, some would say, even my wife to this day would say, I can't believe you're not a lawyer. <laughs> um, but uh, it's. Um, even my daughter, I think it was last year, two years ago, we were going through some paperwork or something. She goes, you know what, in the offseason, you should just go to, to, you know, try to go to law school in the offseason, see if you can become a lawyer. I'm like, yeah, it's exactly what I'm going to do on the back nine of life. You know, I'm going to turn 50 and all of a sudden go to law school. But, uh, but I think those two things with, you know, the focus being a, a professional baseball player. But, you know, it was a different time. You know, today kids grow up being a – wanting to be a professional baseball player and like the, the mechanism begins, right? So it's like all the stuff, the camps and mm-hmm. uh, playing baseball year round. We didn't do that. You know, we played, I played tennis and baseball as a kid, learned how to play golf. I, we did everything. And when it wasn't baseball season, I was doing something else, a different sport. So the, you know, the mindset and everything around it, uh, the circumstances were much different then than they are obviously today. Now it's almost as if you're, you're breeding kids to, 
to, to play a certain sport or a certain event. And my son's kind of going through it right now, to be perfectly honest with you. He's an eighth grader, and uh, he can handle his own on a baseball field, and he absolutely fell in love with tennis about two years ago because of his sister playing. And now he's gotten to that point where he's not sure what he, which way he should go uh, because it almost seems as if you have to kind of pick one and funnel your attention towards that. And I, I just keep telling him, just keep doing both until you're no longer allowed to do both, you know? I see you and him at times at games playing catch down on the field before, you know, just, you know, when everyone's kind of hanging out before BP even gets going. I think to myself, man, 10-year-old me is like so jealous of your son that he gets to go to a big league game and just go play catch before. That, that, would, that must be an incredible experience for you, too. Oh, with no doubt. I mean, it basically, you know, harkens me back to when I was a kid with, with my dad and, and, and getting those opportunities to, to do things that most kids don't. Uh, you, know, it, you know, we had back then we had father kid games. You know, you don't do that nowadays at the major league level. Uh, and I, I think mostly because kids today, and I'm talking about players, are getting to the big league a lot younger than mm. they were in my dad's era. And so, you know, they're not having kids until later on, or if they do have kids, they're very, very young. You know, but we could field a team, you know, the 76, 77 Royals, there was plenty of kids to have a father-kid team <laughs> up on the field, you know, whether it's girls, boys, and, you know, and, and kids in their teens. I mean, there was plenty of them. Uh, but it's a different time nowadays. So I think, I think when we have uh, the opportunity to, to, to take my, either my son or my daughter down on the field, I want it to be kind of special. You know, they know the routine, and they know that uh, we stay out of players' ways, and just kind of we do our thing, we kind of hide. Uh, but I, if I give a chance to play catch with them, um, especially out on the road, and that's the one thing we've started to do, my daughter's got like a list of uh, ballparks that they haven't visited now. And so I think that's cool that, you know, last year they went to Minnesota and they checked that one off the list. You know, I never got a chance to do that until I was really an adult, you know, and really in this in this role, uh, I didn't get a chance to go see that many ballparks um, when I was younger. And I think it's important for me to have them kind of do that stuff so they can experience and they can draw back on their experience and obviously share that with their kids uh, once they get to be of age. That's so cool. Hey, we could talk all day. I, I, I've kept you far too long, but I, I, I have like hours more questions, but I guess we'll have to do that <laughs> later on during the season and get together then. Victor, thank you so Anytime. much for this. All right? You got it, Trent. My pleasure, buddy. Have a good one. Take care. I thought there was some really great insight there, not just on the game of baseball, but the way he calls the game. Like, I'm a play-by-play guy. That's what I do. I study the greats. Uh, I even study the not very good to figure out what I don't like about their call. I study everything when it comes to play-by-play. I think Victor calls a great game, and uh, he lets you see what's on the screen, and he doesn't inundate you with stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be said. I, th- I think Victor calls a great game, and it was great to hear his perspective. I, I just I think that you can pick up a lot from a lot of different different guys and that's something that I do but I think even people that are not like play-by-play media junkies like I am that just love sports and love baseball uh could learn a lot from what Victor was talking about there and uh, what goes into it so thanks to Victor thanks to Cody Allen as well I am actually going to be in Tempe this week for position players reporting Halo's hot stove on the radio wraps this week but don't worry about that because the podcast is going to continue it helps us so much when you can rate review uh subscribing to the podcast 
podcast is so incredibly helpful. You can get it sent right to your phone. That's what I do is I have the Apple Podcasts app, and I just get it. It goes directly to my phone, so I know what's up, and I have that with a lot of different podcasts. You find folks out there that have written reviews for us. Oh, my gosh. You have been so incredibly kind. We appreciate that. Uh, we got a 5.0 rating on iTunes right now. We want to keep that going. So uh, if you like the podcast, if you like what you're listening to, give us a little bit of feedback. Let us know what you think. You can always send me an email, trush at am830klaa.com as well. Find me on Twitter, at Sports. Again, any feedback is appreciated. We want to make this podcast what you want. We're doing this for you. It costs absolutely nothing. It is just fine. This is purely for your enjoyment, for something to listen to, to know more about our players, know more about Angels baseball, and I'm having the best time in the world getting a chance to do this, and I hope you guys are having a good time listening as well. Again, my name is Trent Rush. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Cody Allen, Victor Rojas, and everybody here at AM830 and Angels Baseball that helps put this thing together. All right, the grand finale of Halo Side Stove uh, is coming up soon, but this podcast is going to keep on rolling all year year long. Have a great rest of your day. I'm looking forward to talking to you next week. Take care.